Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 90, MLC Connect Panel. Episode 90 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. So I just got back from Chicago uh, where the White Sox were hosting Major Level Creative Connect, uh, which is in short called MLC Connect. Um, It's essentially, for those of you that don't know, it is a conference for in-house designers at professional teams and high-level Division I sports teams. Um, I've been at this conference a couple of years, moderated panels there, and uh, spoke there last year, moderated a panel two years ago. And this year, I was asked to moderate a panel again on the future of sports design. And in this particular panel, we had Chin Wong, who was creative director of ESPN the magazine. Uh, she's also over digital, the digital arm of uh, publishing there. She was actually on episode 24 of this podcast, if you want to go back and check her episode out. We also had Todd Radom, who has been on the show multiple times in his actual episode, which was episode three. And Todd's been in a couple of these panels that I have recorded and posted to this podcast in the past as well. Uh, Todd is a designer, independent designer, works primarily in sport, and he... Uh, recently is probably known for the big three branding and uniform design, which is a three-on-three tournament uh, founded by Ice Cube, where former NBA stars are playing in these three-on-three matches. We also have Joe Bosack. Joe Bosack is someone I consider a mentor. I've known him for many years. A fantastic designer and creative director. Owns his own studio, Joe Bosack and Company. And you probably know him from the NCAA tournament or I'm sorry, NCAA championship branding uh, across multiple sports. Probably the most famous ones you will see are the Final Four logos where he collaborated with a few other talented creatives in in creating that. Joe was on episode two of this podcast and he, uh, he also interviewed me on episode 25 of the show. And then uh, lastly, we have John Contino. John is one of those creatives that kind of goes across discipline. He, uh, his, st- his aesthetic lends itself very well to sport. Uh, he sort of has this hand-drawn, sort of rough and rugged New York style aesthetic, but he, uh, he's a big sports fan, hardcore New York guy. It was awesome to meet him in person. John joined this podcast on episode 40, so he spoke at the conference this year, and it was great to finally meet him. If you get a chance, uh, go to mlcconnect.com to check out the website of this particular conference. And also, if you check out the hashtag MLCC17 on Twitter and Instagram, you'll see some a bit of a live feed of people's images and tweets from the conference. So um, you can maybe glean something from that as well. And then MLC Connect, their Twitter handles are at MLC Connect. Uh, I do want to give a big thanks to Chris David Garcia, who is, was also a former guest on the show. Uh, Chris is the founder of MLC Connect, and he also has a board of directors uh, steering committee that 
that helps him put these things together. You have uh, Chris David Garcia is actually with uh, a creative director for the Astros where the conference has been the last two years. It's actually started to move around. And this year it was hosted by the White Sox, which uh, a, a gentleman on the steering committee, his name is Gareth Brenlin. I'm sorry. I, I believe I have that right. Uh, but anyway, Gareth is a design and creative director for the White Sox. And, uh, and so he, he sort of spearheaded this, uh, this location. And then you have Ross Yoshida, who's also been on this podcast. Uh, Ross is a design and brand manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He, uh, he, he runs the social media for MLC Connect. And then also Mike Zula, who is formerly of the Mets, but now is an art director for Wilson. So he's went to the consumer brand side of sport. Uh, which is cool. Uh, and, and so these guys asked me to come in and moderate this panel, and I hope that you enjoy. So I will go ahead and say that from an audio perspective, I, I have a digital recorder that occasionally, depending on the audio system, I can plug into my um, into the into the speaker system. Uh, but this this system, so that the audio sounds a lot cleaner, but this particular system was actually built into the wall, so there was no way to get in. So I essentially just took the microphone and sat it on a table in between the guests. So that's why you kind of hear some different audio levels, uh, but I still think that you can get something from this. And uh, so without further ado, here's the conference panel from Major Level Creative Connect 2017, The Future of Sports Design with Chin Wong, Todd Radom, John Contino, and Joe Bosack. We got these guys for 30 minutes. I know um, we're talking future design, which is essentially, we, a lot of us talk about this offline. We kind of want these guys' opinion. They're all kind of masters in their own craft, but just talking about what's next or what they would like to see next. We'll definitely have this conversation, town hall style, um, and then we'll make some closing remarks and be done. So, y'all guys good doing no marks? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's see, sorry. And uh, I'm so sorry. Adam, my good friend, he's taller than me. Let's uh, moderate this bad boy. Thanks, Adam. All right, so uh, if you guys don't know me, my name's Adam. As Chris said, um, I am a designer, uh, freelance designer by day. That's, that's my coffee, my family. Uh, I have this little side project called Major Sport that maybe some of you have heard. There's actually 16 people in this room that have been guests on the show, um, and then even more that are part of the community. Uh, so anyway, uh, each one of these folks has been on the show. Uh, you guys know their names, so I'm just going to uh, do a little self-promotion and just let you know episode 24, <laughs> episode 2, episode 4, and episode 40. So check them out if you get a chance. Um, so just to jump right in, as I said, it's the it's the future of sports design uh, panel. Uh, but I don't think that we can actually talk about the future without visiting the past. And because we have our industry's resident visual historian here, uh, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts, Todd. I think when uh, yesterday um, Marty was talking about reading books and how you kind of discovered like patterns and things like that in books. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, when you look at the past, you sort of can see these patterns, and I think you can kind of tie them to the future. So, is, are there any patterns that you've seen in the world of sport design creativity that maybe we should avoid, and also maybe opportunities that you think we should be pursuing? 
That's a good question. I think that you know trends come and go, right? Everything I think goes in like these twenty-year cycles, and I have this theory that it has to do with you know, buying power. People who are now in their thirties or somewhere in there, you know, they got a little more, a little more power to spend. What do they gravitate toward? Then there are people like this in this room. I think you know there's a revisitation of those great '90s NBA graphics that Tom O'Grady oversaw. This kind of thing, right? But I think we also live at a point right now where the only trend is no trend at all. We all, I say this all the time, we've got diminished attention spans. Um, I know we're probably gonna talk about this, but I think that you know, uh, franchises, which you know, it's sports fans are the most ardent brand loyalists on the face of the earth. When teams bump up against apparel and licensees, that's going to have some influence. So I think we're in this kind of like, you know, we, have, we need to learn from the past and respect all of what's in the DNA for each and every one of, you know, the, the, you guys are the gatekeepers for the most part out here. You keep that in mind, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I think we're, we're in this flux right now. Cool. So I, mean, I want to say too, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of targeting each of you with a question, but if anybody else wants to lay in, definitely feel free. Um, John, you were discussing earlier, um, And I'm not trying to be redundant, but you know, you're talking about sort of we're missing this human element in sports design today, right? But uh, a lot of us, I think, hand lettering and, and illustration is not in everybody's wheelhouse. So I'm curious, how can we as designers, that maybe that's not our thing, sort of inject some of that human element into the work in your thing? Yeah, I don't think it's really about lettering and illustration and stuff like that. Like being hand done or handcrafted or whatever buzzwords that people throw at you. You know, it's more about, well, the reason I went into it is because I couldn't do all the clean stuff. I just couldn't do it, so I was like, you know what, I'll just go in the other direction, see if it works out for me. And, you know, that's one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, I, have, I, I didn't have many guidelines to work with because there was, you know, so much stuff in one direction, so I just kind of figured it out on my own. And that kind of, you know, as we were talking about earlier, like having your back up against a, in, in a corner and you're just like trying to figure something out, you have no choice but to like get creative with it. So a lot of times like what we have here is something that's not necessary. it's not that it's not creative, it's just that like how Joe was saying too, it's not pushing it. So you get stuck, you, you know what you're doing, you know how to make something good, you know how to make something not good, but are you really, are you really, you know, thinking of something, like are you really kind of like sitting down and being like, what's this relationship? How can I push the boundaries of this? How can I do, you know, whatever to make this more interesting? And I think it, it comes down to more of that. I think, you know, you see a lot of people talk about like the handmade type of stuff. And I think the only reason it gets called out is just because it's different, you know? But if people were doing it the same way you're doing everything else, but just pushing the boundaries of that, it's the, it's the same world, you know? And it's just, we just have to keep pushing things and especially for, you know, you know, me being independent, I, I don't answer to anybody, so, like, whatever. <laughs> but, like, everybody else who does have to answer to people, it's just, I, I keep, you know, I don't know how possible it is, but if everyone comes together, it's like a big push from all over, and we're all pushing at the same time, then maybe, you know, we can make a dent in some of this stuff and, and get, to, get to a world where, you know, we're starting to see new trends more interesting stuff, more, you know, like, more things that people want to be a part of that way. So, I, you know, maybe, maybe you know, I think it, it requires a massive wave to be able to do it. It's not just, you know, one person here and one person there, but 
you know, we kind of all have to want it at the same time to be able to get it done. Cool. And you guys want to add to that as far as pushing the human element in design for tour? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, you know, there's been a recoiling. We are talking about it a little bit earlier because it really, think, I mean, again, it requires a little bit of perspective. But uh, since 9-11, that's already seven, 16 years now, we, lived in the, we live in this very fearful world. And I think that consumers and sports fans, whatever we want to call ourselves, you know, there, there's, a, there's a want for comfort food. I keep saying this. And part of that, it's a, I think it's also a reaction to this, you know, it's, everything looks the same. Everything looks the same. Every place is starting to look the same. Uh, there are very few places which, you know, I always like, you know, you could buy a, a Big Mac in 130 countries and it's going to be the same exact thing, this kind of deal. So I think that eventually people do come back to wanting something that is cool, unique, crafted, because it's a, it's a recoiling against, uh, you know, it's the 1984 commercial. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, right. So. Joe, you said something earlier that I thought, and actually better now you said uh, when we were walking about how 15 years ago this thing would have been like three people in a, in, you know, a Starbucks. So I'm curious, and, and honestly, anybody who's been working in this, and, and Tom and Bill, obviously you guys have been doing this for a long time too, when was the tipping point on this? Like when did sports design become a thing? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you, you sort of started to see it build um, at the league level first, right? I think the leagues were the first ones to sort of grasp the, the concept of having an in-house creative <coughs> services department. And then from there, you started to see teams sort of pop up here and there with a, they'd hire a designer for certain things and um, you started to see it populate throughout, throughout sports. When exactly did that happen? I don't know. But I think what, um, what was one of the impetuses for it was branding. I mean, I think people sort of saw the the power of their brands and being able to manage those in-house. See, before all you guys had jobs, there was there were there were there were agencies of record, you know? And they weren't necessarily the best stewards of your brands because they were they were working on you guys one day, you know, they're working on the dolphins one day, and then they're on Toyota the next day, and then they're on this other brand the day after that. And they weren't necessarily the best stewards of your brand, and those contracts came up often, and you had agencies of record that would change hands, and then you'd start all over again. So I think that, that um, understanding the power of brand and understanding um, the, the need to be able to control and manage that brand, I think that's probably one of the emphasis that started. And by the way, those three guys at Starbucks that probably would have been, those two guys would have definitely been two of them. Um, Jin, so as a designer uh, turned creative director, um, you've, you've worked obviously predominantly in publication design, but recently, and I think we all agree that ESPN Magazine is absolutely gorgeous. We probably all took inspiration. But recently, you've kind of, we were talking about the new role, and you're kind of moving in, and you're also not only managing print designers, but digital developers and animators. Uh, so, so I'm curious. I personally believe that this is the, the, the breadth of that type of work and that sort of like meshing together is the future, right? Um, so I'm curious, how do you, number one, how do you manage hiring for those types of disciplines and also how do you just like direct those people to not like get along but make their work piece together well? Well, uh, I'm gonna be perfectly honest, when they offered me the job, when they didn't really offer, they told me I was gonna take the job. <laughs> <laughs> I declined it 
because I didn't, when I started, you know, I started as a print designer. So the idea of me going into the digital space was quite scary. Like my joke was, is it JavaScript? JavaScript, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know HTML, CSS. I don't understand what my contribution is to that space. And after my fear was over, I realized design is just design no matter what platform you're on, right? And at the end of the day, I still do believe it's all about just communication, whether it's on print, it's on, on your phone, on TV, whatever it may be. So um, as far as my new role, you know what I say a lot? I say I don't know a lot. Um, I say to my developer, I don't know when you say why that parallax doesn't work on iPhone 5 instead of, <laughs> like I, I, I say I don't know, and that's really the first thing I'm doing in my job. I don't know. So how do I inspire them? How do I motivate them? I just try to learn as much as I can about what they do, and how it's different, and what they need for all of us to get to the same point. So the most recent project we worked on is the Body Issue Digital site, which is you know just like ESPN.com slash Body Issue. Um, dozens of people worked on it, and they all had very specific roles in making that happen. And my job is to make sure everybody who works on that has what they need to make that site. So I don't have to be a developer, I just have to appreciate what you bring to the table as a developer. Um, I think I told somebody earlier today, like, you know, I'm the architect. I can kind of figure out where things need to go, but I also appreciate that I'm not the plumber, I'm not the contractor, I'm not the electrician, and I'm not going to tell the electrician you should really move the wiring like this. Like, if you tell me that doesn't work there, I will gain enough kind of understand, enough understanding of a language to get that. So to, to kind of elaborate on that, I do, I like how you said, you're, you're willing to say you don't know, right? I it say I don't know all the time. It takes a lot When I was preparing for this presentation, I had to time myself, and the very end was just, here are all the things I said I didn't know about this week. Um, <laughs> so, but, you have but, to but, be able to say that, right? Like, I'm humbled every day by how little I know, honestly. But having, having but done that, having done that, has it, how has it sort of, has it changed your sort of outtake on design and, and education and learning? Because I think it's, it's a good thing to say I don't know and then be willing to Yeah, I think it just out. makes you better, you know. You know, you're a print designer. I know the magazine size is never going to change. So I assign an illustration that works at this size. So now I've got to figure out how does that same illustration work literally at this size. Right, so then that changes who I talk to, that changes how I assign things, that changes, if I'm hiring John, I said, I can't have you do a handwritten thing because it won't read on the app. Yeah. So what can we do it's instead? True. So is it a hand-drawn <laughs> baseball instead of, of the headline, you know? Like it just forces you to think outside of what you normally think about. And that's never a bad thing for any designer, I don't think. So, so one thing that you, you had, I remember a lot of quotes actually in your talk. <laughs> But you mentioned that, that design is a communal process, and this is for everybody. It's inspired by what she said in her talk. Um, design is a communal process, and also that design is, is sort of conducted at the intersection of relationships. So I'm curious if each of you just could, could kind of go by and, and sort of say what that means to you and how you do that, because each of you are very collaborative. Start with you, Jim. Oh, okay. Um, 
I would like to think that if there's any sort of conflict or if I'm in a meeting where somebody says we really prefer this look over that look, and regardless of how it nets out, that they're not saying, oh, that's what Chin wanted because she's the designer. I want someone to leave the room and saying, well, we, we want that because we realize that's the best way to kind of convey whatever we're trying to convey, right? So it's not, it doesn't, so my, I don't become reduced, I'm not reduced to my discipline. It's because I kind of taught them this is why it's important. Um, you know, when we're talking about kind of unicorn skills, I was talking to somebody this morning to me, the most unicorn skill is just communicating, you know, and be able to be articulate about what you believe in and what you stand up for and fighting for what you think is the best. And you don't always win, like that Muhammad Ali cover is a perfect example. Um, but you can, and I'm at peace with that, but you want to be able to be in a room where you have a seat at the table and you can say very firmly, this is what I believe should be happening. Yeah, you know, collaboration for me, I mean, a lot of my projects, it's, it's quite literal. I mean, we have other designers that come in and, and contribute their talents to the things that we do. But I think that perhaps more important for me is the collaboration between the, the client. You know, I think that there's um, a, a tendency for designers to, at least independent designers like me, get a project in and you know, you, you, you go into the first meeting and there's you know, somebody in there and they've got like, you know, blue pants on and a purple shirt and like a green crazy paisley tie and you're thinking this guy can't even dress himself and they're gonna give you creative direction. Um, so you almost, you, sometimes you judge your clients as, as sort of creative know-nothings and I stopped doing that. Um, now, now I look at them as their subject matter experts on who they are and, and I really try to pull information out of them. So, I mean, for me, collaboration, two things. Literal with other designers. Um, I mentioned the designers that I've worked with in the past. And then also collaborating with my, with my clients. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, uh, I, my last full-time job before I went off on my own was in August of 1990. So that's a long time ago. And in that time, trends come and go, and economies come and go, and, and you know, the needs have changed. To, you know, so much digital, obviously, the world's changed. What stays for me is the fact that, uh, so a couple of things. You know, I said it yesterday too, design is a very, very humbling, humbling process. It is not brain surgery that if you cut in the wrong place, the patient dies. Uh, the criticism, this implicit thing about you know, critique, it's just part of the process. I think that you know, certainly as I've grown older and, and been involved in just a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, you see best practices and try to, you know, I try to bring that to the table. So there are two other things I just wanted to say. In all of those years, I kind of, I say this frequently, but it's true. I'm kind of like Winston Wolfe in Pulp Fiction. You know, you need, you, there's a problem to be solved. And I get in and I get out, and sometimes you don't even know I'm there, this kind of deal. And that, you know, I mean, that's, that's it, it cuts me off from part of that collaboration um, sometimes. I mean, it depends on who you're dealing with. Last thing for me is the fact that, you know, in Joe, in his presentation earlier, um, working by myself, for myself, for 27 years now, that was a, it was a, a wonderful experience. First of all, I had people who I have a great deal of affection for and trust and, and uh, value the work. And it really, it was something completely, completely different from anything that I've ever dealt with. Kind of like Super Friends, Super Team, 
Um, I deal with Bill Frederick quite often. I mean, we literally communicate every single day and sometimes collaborate on stuff. Collaboration is critical. Uh, it's just, it, it's part of the process. And um, the minute that you wall yourself off from that, be it you know, dealing with your creative directors or anything like that, the work gets smaller, your world gets smaller. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's all valuable stuff. I like to look at collaboration from two different perspectives. From especially being uh, an independent, I like to look at it from a competitive standpoint. So there is, you know, for anyone who's independent, you know, you're competing against each other. And that competition of like, I'm gonna steamroll you, is like one of the best collaborative things that I could ask for, because it's like that silent, you know, competition between you and the next person and the next person. But in that, like, you know, you see each other, oh, hey, great to see you, you know, we're buddies. No, 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 we're here to like, we're here to, you know, like we're going head to head. But in doing so, you're making each other better. And I think having that competition is one of the best collaborative tools you can have. And then on the other end of it, you know, just being able to just say, you know, I can't do this. And then having someone come in and, and just be like, well, you're, you're awesome at this. And, you know, I like to think I'm awesome at this. And if we work together, we'll make something really cool. Like, I like being able to, you know, you know, transform and, you know, like grab this guy, grab this person, grab this person, and, you know, put together like this mega team of all these people who are great at thinking from this perspective or that perspective or can handle this or, you know, can be unique with a camera in a way that I could never see. And I, I think like being able to recognize that in people in order to pull together a project is something that, you know, ends up giving an output that no one could ever expect. Because you have these, these different perspectives and these strong personalities and the way that they, you know, can see the world and then mesh together into one big thing. It, it, gives, you, it gives you an amazing output. So I kind of want to say, like, in this vein a little bit, um, I, I, follow, I was following Forbes on Snapchat, and they kind of went through and did, like, uh, some screenshots of their, some of their early issues, like 1920s, right? And, and I was intrigued by, uh, they had interviewed, like, you know, John Rockefeller, right? And so it was it, his, he had mentioned the power of relationships, right? And so we're kind of talking about working with other people and power relationships and how it's very important it's it's not it's not it's almost not important as important what you do, but it's like the building of relationships, kind of getting your name out there, that kind of thing. I thought that was awesome because this is something that was said in the 1920s and it still holds true today and it's going to hold true in the future, right? So there's a future of sports design. But I'm curious we always hear this, build relationships, build relationships, but how do you build relationships, right? Because there's a lot of extroverted people in this room. You know, we're at a conference, so a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of people are wallflowers and they're not gonna be the type to go up and do stuff. So just, uh, you know, what are some tips on how you guys build relationships? Because I don't know how I do it, right? Which is going to be different from how each of you do it. So why don't we go backwards this time and start with you, John. Well, for me, <laughs> um, I'm a loud mouth if you haven't <laughs> noticed. But like, I've always thought that my biggest asset is the fact that I can talk my way in and out of things. So like, I might not be the best designer, I might not be the best creative director, I might not be the best at anything, but I know that I can talk my way into something. So if I can explain what I'm doing, and I, if I, you know, if I'm presenting, you know, three things, and I know which one I want, I feel pretty confident that I can talk the client into using it one way or another. And for me, 
when I get into that realm and I'm just being honest and I'm like being real <laughs> and raw with the client and I'm just, I'm just telling it like it is, because that's what I do. And you know, I have enough years of experience now to be able to do that and not feel like I'm gonna be poor. Um, being able to do that and, and having you know, clients re reciprocate with like, oh, that's refreshing. You know, then I get the, you should meet this person, and then you should meet that person. And then all of a sudden, you know, being able to be myself and feeling comfortable and just being myself, not necessarily being confident in my abilities, but being confident in the fact that I am who I am and that's what you're gonna get, I feel like has, has given a lot of people um, reason to introduce me to other people without me having to go out and do it. Because the last thing I ever want to do is go to a networking conference and be like, oh, hey, I'm, I do this and I do that and whatever. Because it's so, like, it's embarrassing. You know, like, you have to be like, well, what do you do? And it's just like, well, I'm a, one of the worst things. is a perfect example. Years ago, 10, 15 years, no, yeah, 15 years ago or so, I, you know, I was designing at some place really briefly. And I met this girl at a friend's, uh, at a friend's party. And, and she was like, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a designer. She's like, well, what have you done that I recognize? I'm like, wow. <laughs> have you met my friend Mike? <laughs> and that stuck with me, because it's just like, it's like, why am I even, do why am I important in this? What, what, why am I doing this if, if, I, if, if people, you know, can't recognize what I do and don't know why I'm here and I, it seems like I'm useless. So it's like, I found a way to make myself feel like I mattered and then, that just kind of projected onto everything else. And then it's just like, huh, I met Todd, and I met you guys, and now it's, you know, now it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of, one of my things has been, for many years, is that uh, you know, so much of the work that I work on and have worked on, I am not allowed to publicly leverage. That's a little bit of a, you know, there, there's the Mr. Wolf, get in, get out, you don't know he's here kind of deal. Um, but word of mouth, I mean, if you can't advertise aggressively, and it might not be the right way to go about it anyway. I think the best relationships that I've had professionally uh, over that long stretch of time, uh, the best ones are the ones that are long-term, not just one-night stands, as it were. Um, and, and that's important. And how is that achieved? It's word of mouth. It's doing good work, certainly, and that, again, is a very subjective thing, but managing the process and navigating this whole thing in a professional way. There are plenty of people out there who do incredible work, and so many of them are in this room, stuff that, you know, that, that I respect. But um, knowing how to you know, hold somebody's hand and come take it, take it and let's make it work, that's a big deal. And uh, word of mouth is, is definitely it. But real quick, you know, the blessing and the curse of social media uh, with our stunted civic, I know, right? <laughs> civic conversation, uh, the best thing is you have an opportunity to, if you want to be aggressive and reach out to somebody that, that and you might hear back, that's a big thing. And conversely, I think it's incredibly valuable for people to, you know, talk to me, quote unquote, on Twitter or whatever. And, you know, it's a dialogue. And, and again, for those of us who are walled off and work by ourselves, that's a really valuable thing just to, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really important. Keeps you from going sure. insane sometimes, too. Sometimes. <laughs> I, think, I think that if you want to build a reputation, especially in this industry, I think you just got to do the work. You just got to do the work and put it out there. And with social media, I think it's easier to put the work out there. And um, if you, if, if you've got the chops and you're putting the work out there and people are seeing, it's, it's, kind, of like, it's kind of like having the right skill set 
and, and doing good work is like hitting 40 home runs in the minors. Someone's going to notice. You know, someone's going to come find you. I mean, look at, I look at Fraser Davis. Everybody knows Fraser Davis. You know, Fraser decided he wanted to do sports identity work, and he wanted to do it at a professional level. So how, how did he get in? He just did the work, and he put it out there. And he put it on social media platforms like Twitter, and he put it on his Dribble page, and he, and he built a website and he put it out there. And, you know, he happens to be extremely good at it, and it was like hitting 40 home runs in the minor. Nike calls him, you know? And he's doing, and he's doing major division one collegiate athletic programs. So if you want to build a relationship, build a reputation, I think you just gotta, you just gotta do the work. Shin, how about you building relationships? Um, I would say internally within the company, I actually have a post-it note at my desk that says, go talk to people. Um, no joke, I really do have that on my desk. Because you get into a groove and you realize, look, you're in a position of leadership, like people have to want to have FaceTime with you, so go talk to people. So I try to do that at least once a day. And then there are always people kind of come by my desk to chit chat and I never, I really try never to kind of say no. Because usually they just want to talk to someone for five minutes, 10 minutes, no matter how busy I am, it's. I want to be generous with my time just as people have been generous with me. Um, I'm not a huge social media person. I've never posted anything on Facebook. I'm not a prolific Twitterer. Um, I recognize that uh, in some ways that's somewhat part of the conversation when you're a designer. And ultimately I think I just want to be, I just want to be able to be true to myself in an authentic way. So one thing I've decided is I'm going to um, kind of celebrate other people's work, but I'm not gonna promote, promote my own work. Not because it's bad, it's just not my, it's, I just can't do it, it's not my style. So I'm gonna go back to my Asian childhood. But um, it's just not something that feels very comfortable to me. So I want to have a presence on social media, so I try to do it by celebrating other people, and especially celebrating other females. All right, so this is the last question. Um, each of you have been working you know, in the game for quite a while, right? And uh, so I'm curious, I mean, this is an ever-changing industry. Not only, not obviously the sports industry is, it's very fickle. I mean, things drop out, you're gone in an instant, but design especially, right? I mean, think about design, uh, designers of yesteryear. You were mentioning Deb Carson, right? It's like, can anybody name who that is in here now? Right? I know I can't, I still don't work. Seriously, but, nobody? He's a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm curious. I mean, but, but here's the thing. You guys are, are on an uptick, right? Like your careers are still going forward. I mean, Joe, you were just talking earlier that you feel like you're the best work of your career. And, and you know, Shane, obviously a lot of us have discovered you within the last, you know, couple of years. You, you found a new niche. Uh, so how do you guys, how do you, all of us want to know how to stay, basically stay relevant as we continue our careers. So how do you do that? That's an excellent Where question. Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, let me jump in. I think, you know, for me, I love everybody in this room. I hope love is what you do. And, and you know, I, I've never had, I don't know what else I would do. I still love doing the work. I love putting my head down and, and, and doing it. And, but I find certainly at this point in my life, uh, I have 
accrued all this you know, knowledge, again, best practices and all this stuff. And I find it very interesting. And I mean, you know, so to have versatility, I think this is a really great thing. Right now, you don't have to be any one thing. If somebody says you're a <laughs> there goes the, the scoreboard. So I personally, uh, I design, I research, uh, I am a writer. Uh, the New York Times came to me several months ago and just out of the blue and said, you know, we love your writing. Can you do an op-ed piece on the editorial page of the New York Times about ugly uniforms, ugly sports uniforms? And it gave me a platform to first of all write, and I love to write, and I feel like I've become a better writer. But anyway, let me, let me get to it, but to talk about what we do and why people have such a visceral connection to their uniforms, to their brands, to their teams, and how that connects generations. I have a book that is now a year out. I have my head down, I'm writing, you know, I've got 25,000 words in the can, still moving along. It's gonna be very pictorial. A year from now, I'll have it to share with everybody here. Um, so I think just kind of like navigating in and out of these worlds, all keeping it creative keeps being a, be being a writer makes me a better designer. Uh, being a researcher makes me a better writer. It's, a, it's like a righteous circle that keeps moving. Yeah, I, th I, I agree with that too, because as I get older, I like to dip my toes in more direction and more, you know, I've, I've produced a few commercials at this point now too. But the thing that I think keeps me feeling fresh, and I come from playing in like punk and hardcore bands as a teenager, and I come from that world of just being pissed off at everybody all the time. And I feel like I- You're a New Yorker, what are you talking about? <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly finding something to get mad about. And every time I get mad about something, I get energized. And the only way I can release my energy is through design, because what the fuck else am I gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the more, every time I find something that's like energizing me, I feel like I have a reason to say or do something. And you know, I always worry that as, as you get older, you know, like, like kind of like the old punk rock thing, it's like, what do you have to be mad about when you, know, you turn into the Ramones and you're making millions of dollars or whatever? You know, but like, as you, as you get older, there's, you know, things change, and it's, it's a good way to relate to music. It's like, well, the heavy bands aren't heavy anymore. Now they're experimental, and now they have acoustic albums. And it's like, it, it, there's always something you know, that, that makes you want to have a creative outburst. And I try to really like, grab onto that. And every, every time one pops up, there's some fuel for like, the next few years. And then I gotta you know, I'll find something else to make me angry. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, for relevance, I mean, I don't, you know, I guess it's a little bit about what I talked about earlier, where um, I'm just trying to avoid getting comfortable, you know, um, because I think that's a quick way to become irrelevant, is when you, you stop exploring and you stop trying to find new solutions and new creative ways to do things. And that's not easy, because, you know, I, I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, that's a long time. I mean, there are people that have careers that last 25 years and then they're out. You know, um, but just trying to force myself to think a little bit differently um, has been what energizes me. Like I said, like I said earlier. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if it's going to work. <laughs> Find out. You want to jump in? Sure. Um, I think many of you knew, it know, but ESPN went through a round of layoffs a couple of months ago, and 
Not that I thought, I mean, who knows, maybe I would have, I don't know. But it does make you think about what it is you do, how much value you put on it, is it worth what you're doing, all those things. And at the end of the day, I just, I love my job. I love the people who work with me. I love my team. Um, I can also lose my job. It's okay. It's not that important to me that I can't uh, let it go and try to find something else. And maybe for a young group like this, that's not the best life advice because you want to be like, oh, I want to be the best at everything. But there are things that, are, that I value that goes beyond just being best in my field. Uh, my first job out of college was a obituary clerk, which meant funeral home Tommy. I typed in who died. Joe was 75, he died, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, I interview the person, and then I, I literally write a story about that person's life. Did I have a good life? <laughs> that Mississippi State logo. somebody who was very important to that to obviously their family and I'll never forget that right and no matter what I do like I'm never gonna no one's gonna cry reading like looking at a page of Russell Westbrook and that's uh, that's always stuck with me and especially as ESPN is going through a lot of changes I love my job I can also lose my job you know um, I want to be at a place where I have enough relationships and have enough fulfilling things outside of work so that it's okay for me to lose it. That's terrible. I, I don't know. I mean, you guys are young, so that makes it seem like I'm about to go off a cliff. Like <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's the best way to end this. <laughs> so I need you to say something else. <laughs> I think uh, Mike just hit a really point. There's a, you know, we were talking about patterns earlier, and drawing patterns from things. And you can actually draw a pattern right through this, and that, like, you know, Joe, be uncomfortable. And then shouldn't be fearless. Like, don't be afraid to lose your job, right? Like, push yourself to be uncomfortable in what you do, and hopefully, you'll never end up being complacent. You'll, you'll keep growing. So, uh, let's give a big round of applause for these. So there you have it, the future of sports design, a panel at Major Level Creative Connect 2017 with 
Todd Radom, Chen Wong, Joe Bosack, and John Contino. It's an absolute honor to stand on the stage with those people and to have been able to interview them and get to know them throughout the years. Uh, this podcast has been a huge blessing, honestly, in my life, not only from the guests, but just the listeners, you, the listeners, and, and the community that support the show. Um, speaking of the community, if you do want to support the show, this podcast does not accept ads or sponsors, so you will never have to scrub through an ad on the show. If you want to support the show, you can go to makersofsport.com slash community, and you'll have access to additional content that is ever-changing, uh, coming up with new ideas all the time to try to bring value to community members. Uh, some of those have included private Q&As with future former and special guests, Google Hangouts. Uh, so we're starting a mastermind group. Uh, we recently started a book club led by Danny Harms of the Chicago White Sox. We're actually reading Creativity Inc., which is a book that was, a, it, it is about the founding of Pixar, uh, but it was suggested by uh, Martellus Bennett, who is a, a tight end for the Green Bay Packers uh, this year, Super Bowl champion with the Patriots last year. Uh, but he's, his passion is creativity. And so he spoke at this conference, and I'm actually, just to drop a little little knowledge bomb here, uh, Martellus is actually going, going to be joining this podcast in the future. So we'll have more details on that as it comes. But anyhow, Martellus recommended this book, Creativity Inc., and it's something that I've wanted to read for a long time. And this is something that we, as the inside the Makers of Sport community, are doing so we are going to get together through a Google Hangout and discuss what we've learned and really try to figure out how we can implement the knowledge that we learn. So there's a lot of things like that that happen in the community. Uh, there's feedback. There are uh, showcase channels where you can showcase your work that's that's into the wild and, and it's, you're not actually looking for feedback on. So uh, that's that's another great thing about it. And uh and there's a lot of good people in there. We do Snapchat takeovers where we showcase some of the people that are in the community. In the past, we've had Megan Majera of the Indianapolis Colts, Ashley Strauss of the Tennessee Titans, John Willie of the Miami Dolphins, uh, Alina Rogers of Utah basketball, just to name a few. Uh, so anyhow, uh, those, those kind of give a day-to-day -day look into sports creatives' lives. Uh, so if you want to follow those, you don't actually have to be in the community to follow those. Those are just coming on Snapchat. So just follow Makers of Sport on Snapchat. Um, I do want to reiterate this podcast is listener supported. It's a side project in order to keep this thing going. It essentially needs money. It's free for everyone, right? Like you're always going to be able to listen to the show and I'm not expecting anyone to give money, but there are super fans that want to support the art that they love. I tend to do that with podcasts that I listen to or join communities or things like that. If that's not your thing, it's totally okay. These episodes are always going to be free for you. But if you want to gain additional content and go deeper into this world and develop relationships with some of these people, uh, then please take time to join the community, give up a few coffees a month, and support the show. To stay in touch, sign up for the makersofsport.com email newsletter. Those are getting sprung up again. I mentioned on the last episode I took a bit of a hiatus to coach soccer, but those are back. And so I will be sending out show notes again from each podcast with the links and everything mentioned in the show. And also just to stay up to date. I mean, if uh, there's some plans to start a store in the future and I may send out discounts through that, who knows? Anyhow, that's another way that you can stay in touch. You just have to go to makersofsport.com slash email and enter your 
email address to stay in touch with the podcast and all of the happenings of the future. Lastly, please take one or two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and hit the five star and write about your experience with the show, especially those of you that don't support the show fiscally. All support matters. This support is just as important. If you've gotten value from the podcast, either from myself or from guests of the show or some of these panels that I record, then please go rate the podcast so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. As you heard in this particular panel, sports design wasn't a thing up to 15 years ago. Even up to six years ago, there was still a lack of of a place where people really connected and got to know each other. And so it's really becoming an, becoming an industry, uh, a great industry. And I honestly feel like the show is a great way to get people to not only discover it so that new talent can come in, but also to connect with others. So please go to SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts and please leave a review. As mentioned on the last episode, my next guest is going to be Shane Melky. Shane is an interactive creative director. You can find out more about him by going to his website, which will be in the show notes of this episode, shanemelkey.com. And I believe that one is going to be very inspirational. He just wrote a book called Watch It, 300 plus things I've learned as a designer, developer, and creative director, and it is very inspiring. I can tell you right now as I'm wrapping it up, it's awesome. And there's a lot of little nuggets in there that you can write down and place on post-it notes and stick them around your your monitor just so you can see them every day so that's it i'm at t adam martin on all social media including twitter snapchat instagram and pretty much everywhere else on the interwebs the show is at makers of sport until next time have a good week